Talk to who? Peter Mountford. No. Local. Oh, local author. His books are, his two novels are about economics. I mean, they're set around the world of economics. Paul Wolfowitz is one of the characters in his, in one of his books. What's his name? Peter Montford? Yeah, M-O-U-N-T-F-O-R-D. See, this is how we start this podcast. It just starts because Nancy has so many books <laughs> to speak of. Nancy also has a, a, a plate yes, full of cookies. These cookies are for the table, so please help yourself. This is That Stack of Books, Episode 3. I'm Steve Scher. That's Nancy Pearl. Hi, Steve. Hi, Nancy. And uh, we are at the Bryant Corner Cafe again, recording this episode of Our Life of Books. That is a very small stack, Nancy. It is a small but select stack. And, and we have so many visitors um, to be with us today. I sort of thought maybe we would. And um, I understand there's a sign up at the Northeast Library saying that we're doing this every Tuesday, 10 o'clock, at Bryant Corner Cafe. Come talk about books with me and Steve Scher. Wow. Is that where you saw it? Yes, I did see it when I was picking up my book at the Seattle Public Library's Northeast Branch. And you are? Jessica Anderson, librarian as well. Librarian at large. <laughs> librarian at large. Good. And you are? Jacqueline Johnson. Oh, and you're retired, so you can do anything you want. Isn't that what you told me? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> What, what was your identity before you retired? I was compensation manager for uh, hospitals, in hospitals, various hospitals. And you? I'm Susan Eby, and I'm also retired. I'm a master gardener, and I used to be a human resources manager. I'm Raylene Walls, and I'm retired from being um, a homemaker and a mom. And I'm also a master gardener with Susan, and I heard about it last week when we were here for luncheon, and I just missed it last week, so now I'm back. Shameless plug, do you guys know that I, because from the radio days, I still do the, a gardening show with the gardeners that we had on our show for all those years? Yeah, called, called A Dry Rain, Gardening for the Pacific Northwest and Beyond. Get it? Get it? A Dry Rain? Funny, huh? You know, because it's a dry rain. It's a dry heat. I would not have thought that would have slipped by you. <laughs> I was trying to think about how, well, I was thinking about Tim Egan's book, A Good Brain, so that confused me a little bit. You are a literary person. All right, I'm glad you folks are here. So you were telling me about Peter Montford because I had interviewed uh, John Lanchester last night, and I liked his book, How to Speak Money, yes. which was, I thought, very clever. That it, was, it was very political. It was very uh, clear, I thought, about how to speak about money, though he had a political point of view, but in the whole middle of it was a lexicon of money, and, and it was his own uh, definitions of these things in order to draw out what the actual definitions were and in order to make people feel comfortable about money. So I was intrigued by him, so I wanted to get one of his, I read him in The New Yorker all the time, and he also writes for the New York Review of Books and The Guardian, but I wanted to get one of his novels, and I got a novel, Capital, and you said you read it. I did read Capital, and, um, and I remember really liking it. It's, it, it's about the effects of the, of the big um, recession of, of 2008, whenever, whenever that was, in, in, in London especially, and how it affects a whole group of very diverse people and how they are connected. You could see it being a, a BBC miniseries, I think. I asked him if he liked writing, which was more frightening, writing fiction or nonfiction about that topic. And I bet he said fiction. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think I think fiction is, um, I don't know, I bet we could get a lot of pushback on this, <laughs> but it seems to me that fiction is harder to write than nonfiction. I, I know from my own experience of the book plus books, those were like easy in, in a sense. I mean, you had to put in the time, but it was easy. And fiction, I think, is very, very hard. I just found non, nonfiction to be it's so disciplined. You have to be so disciplined. You have to actually know things and understand stuff. Fiction, you can just make stuff up. I, I don't know if I agree. I mean, I, I think with fiction, you have to come up with, you have to do, with me, fiction is more like, um, it's like close, nigh on impossible. <laughs> I mean, it just like, because, well, partly because I'm such a vicious critic, self-critic, and vicious reader, and yes. See, I'm just cutting myself so much slack. That's what it is. So I'm not having any problem. But that's also, of course, why I've just written it and put it in drawers. Why do you disagree, Jessica? Mine's more on the, on the nonfiction side, because you can write a book about anything, and it'll be nonfiction, but it may be like complete experiment. Like, here's my book on gardening with chickens. It may not be the best way to garner with chickens, but here's a nonfiction book on, on chicken keeping. By the way, which of you would read a book about gardening with chickens? You're all master gardeners, right? You know. <laughs> um, all right, so what do you have here? Well, I brought, <clears throat> I brought three books today, and um, the first one is one of those books that is perfect for both teen girls, I think, and um, a little bit older teen girls, 16 and up, not because there's any content that might be, air quotes, um, uh, you know, offensive, but because I just think the interest would be for older girls and adults. And it's perfect for anyone who loves um, Georgette Heyer, who happens to be one of my all-time favorite um, novelist who's always classified as a romance novelist, but she was a very scrupulous historian. This one is called Sorcery and Cecilia, or The Enchanted Chocolate Pot. And it's written by Patricia Reedy and Caroline Stevermer, who are both writers, um, have done many other books. What I love about this book, it's an epistolary novel, so it's letters between these two cousins, Cecilia and Kate, Cece and Kate, and it began with a game that somebody uh, told the, the authors about where you write, let you and a, a friend write letters in another persona other than your own. And the person who starts the correspondence kind of sets up the whole issue. So um, here are these two girls. It's, um, uh, it's in the, the first decade of the 19th century, and it's in a kind of parallel world where magic is, is part of life. And it's just great fun. So it has all the, the, um, the romance tropes and all of the fantasy tropes. It's, I just love it. This is, I think, maybe the third time that I read it, and I just am adoring it. It's fabulous. You told me about this book before. I remember that. You see, that's, look, flights of wonder, fancy, and whimsy. That's why fiction is so much fun. She's not making sure that the magic, uh, she doesn't do any research on the magic, though I'm sure she's making sure, they are making sure that 
it makes sense internally. I think you need to stop being such a vicious critic of your own writing. I, that would be an excellent idea. Would that I could take that that advice to heart. Well, I think this book was fun to write because the way they describe it is for six months they just, ex or some number of months, they just exchanged letters, one in the character of Kate, this 18-year-old girl off to her, her debut season, the season in London, and the other cousin staying at home, and the, and the, I mean, it's one of those things where you know when these men first appear, you know that because it's a romance, who's going to get together? But I think, and then they got together when the letters were done and sort of saw, oh, wow, this could be a book and, you know, did some of the internal rearrangement and everything. So this is fabulous. Georgette Heyer, yes. name some of the books of hers you liked. Oh, my gosh. I, I could go on forever. Sylvester is one. Um, the Grand Sophie and that's S-O-P-H-Y. Um, people, people are very, dis many people who don't know Georgette Hare are dismissive of, of her because she's shelved in the romance section. So they think, oh, yeah, lower class, not literary. But she, she was, in fact, as I said, a scrupulous historian. And, um, and one of her books, whose name will come to me in a minute, is is about the Napoleonic War, and it's still used, as I understand it, per, this is perhaps a rumor, uh, apocryphal, but is still used um, with in what in the French military academy to teach people about the war because even though it's a a romance, it's still just so accurate, and much of it is based on. Um, Wellington's diaries. So just, I mean, she's just wonderful. So, so the Grand Sophie, um, Sylvester, Frederica is fun. They're so much fun. They're just delights. And there are thousands and thousands of fans of Georgette Hayer all over the world. So I highly recommend her. All right, what's this book? So this, this is the 100th anniversary of the beginning of World War I, and this is a collection, this is called Some Desperate Glory, the First World War I, the First World War the Poets Knew by a, man, a, Brit, a British writer named Max Egremont. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but basically, this is a biography of the very, of many of the poets who we associate with World War I. Um, poets who are very well known, like Rupert Brooke, for example, or Siegfried Sassoon, and poets who are less, probably a little less well known, like Isaac Rosenberg. So it's both both wonderful essays that goes year by year, beginning in 1914, what poems were written at that time during that year, and then, um, and then uh, also essays about what was happening in those poets' lives. Do you, do you see the shift of, if it's going by chronologically, do you see the shift in people's feelings about the adventure? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and last week we talked a little bit about World War books about World War One when, um, and you know my favorite World War One book is Regeneration by Pat Barker, 
which is an amazing book and which is based on the experiences of Siegfried Sassoon. And I think, you know, these young men went into the war with, with, with high hopes that it would, that it would be, um, that it would accomplish what it set out to do. And I think toward the end, and after their poem, the ones who survived, their poems got progressively disillusioned. And um, and then, of course, this book doesn't include Rudyard Kipling, but Rudyard Kipling, uh, again, a poet, I think, who is, we just don't take him seriously, but his anger at the war and the treatment of the men um, was just vicious. Um, you know, that we send these young, he says this in poetic form, you know, send the men out to die and the generals sit at home, uh, or the people who direct the war sit at home. So um, the First World War, the po yeah, the First World War, the poets knew um, some desperate glory, which is um, taken from, I think, a Rupert Brooke poem, but I'm not sure. And John, in John Lanchester's uh, book, he was uh, quoting some writers from the 20s, one of whom had written a book called The First World War. So that was the first time that had been used as the phrase, sending the message out to everyone that that was just the first one and more were to come before it was the Great War. I mean, there's such sadness and such, I mean, there's sadness in any war, there's irony in any war. But, you know, the, the poets, um, Wilfred Owen, who was, you know, killed, I think, on the last day before, before the truce was announced. Um, and the poems are just, they're just amazing. Robert Graves, who we, many people don't think of as a poet, but um, is, is included in here. And it, it, so if you're a poetry lover, um, this book came out in June, so it's it's available, and um, I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. Do you have one to lighten the load a little bit I after do. that? All right. Yes, this is a book called *The Diamond Lane* by Karen Carbo, and this is republished by Hawthorne Books, a small independent Portland publisher, and it's it's a it's a it's a fabulous, fabulous very, very, very funny satire on Hollywood, on sisterly love, on marriage. Um, and it is, as, as you can see, Steve, I marked pages that had wonderful, wonderful quotes. I read this book when it first came out, and I was so excited to see that Hawthorne Books had reissued it. And is Karen Carbo from the Northwest or she, Portland? She, um, I believe, now lives in Portland, but I think she grew up in um, in Los in in the house. She had to have some connection with Hollywood, because she just knows. Um, she knows she, the thing she just says. Like one of the characters is a person who um, does the reading for the, the, a movie studio. So she, when you submit a script, she's the first reader, and she says this is how she reads her books. So she she reads the first ten pages, the middle ten pages, and the last ten pages. Then if she likes it, she goes back and reads the first twenty pages, the middle twenty pages, and the last twenty pages. And then if she really likes it, she does thirty, thirty, and thirty. And by then the script is usually done. So there's that 
that one part. Um, and I just, I, I mean, in some ways, that's a good way to read. If I, I think about that, I kind of envied her idea of doing that kind of thing. Um, uh, well, you know, if you have to read a lot of books, that is one way to do it, I think. Yes. <laughs> right, Steve. You and I would know about that. You would exactly know about that. And then her sister is taking, uh, the main character's name is Mouse Fitzhenry. Uh, her name is really Frances, but called uh, Mouse. And uh, she is a documentary filmmaker, and she's just come home from, um, from Nairobi, from Kenya, uh, with her fiance. And um, her sister, who is you know, trying to break into Hollywood, is working for an agent, a big agent. And she's taking a course called How to Write a Blockbuster, one of those writing courses. But before they start writing the blockbuster, they write everything about it. So first they write like the press releases, and then they write the blurbs that they would like to get, and then they write the cover copy of it. I mean, it's just hysterical. I, I, I love this book, and one of the things I love really, one of the things that I, I'm just so fond of in this new edition, it has a wonderful cover. I'm so, it just has a beautiful cover. I'm showing everybody at the table. Isn't it a nice cover? They did a lovely job reprinting this. It's both celluloid strips and uh, freeways yes. and representing so, both. It's nice. So I was trying to figure out what the word would be because the things that, that make this book dated are the fact that they're smoking on airplanes and, and there's no cell phones. They're constantly, you know, they're not constantly, but they're looking for, uh, for phone booths. And there must be, we're, you know, we talk about what's anachronistic, but what's the opposite of that? You know, when you're reading what you think is a contemporary novel and there's these things that show that it's not so contemporary. Anyway, I cannot recommend Karen Carbo's book highly enough for someone who is really looking for just a, a nicely written, very funny look at Hollywood. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to read that. That's my kind of book. I look forward to reading that. Nancy Pearl is a very modest but select stack of books for that stack of books. Can I read you a paragraph from this book, from the Karen Carbo, the Diamond Lane book? Okay, so, so here they're talking, to, um, they're talking to somebody high, in, they're having one of their meetings with someone in the high in the studio hierarchy, this pair of screenwriters. And this is what he says, as I'm sure you've heard, I shoot straight from the hip. So let's not waste time. I like this script. I love this script. Frankly, it's terrible, but that doesn't mean it isn't good. Good scripts are all good in the same way. Bad scripts are bad in their own unique way. That's what I'm after. This unique quality a bad script has. Unique, but recognizable. In our rewrite, we want to hone that uniqueness, that badness that makes it good, but lose the badness that makes it bad, so that it will be not just good, but great. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of, that's the kind of, I, she has just captured it. I, I've never met Karen Carbo. I would love to meet her, um, but it's just wonderful. Fun. That's a lot of fun. 
Okay, sometimes you have a book that would follow that. So if, but you just like this book so much, it sounds like it stands on its own. Anything that you would, I mean, all of a sudden I was thinking about that movie from a long time ago, The Player, which I guess was probably based on a book, wasn't it? Yeah, The Player was based on a book called The Player by Michael Tolkien. But I think that that's, my remembrance of that is that it's a little bit of a harsher satire. I don't know. Um, I could be I could be totally wrong. This is a love this is in a funny way a loving I would say a loving satire of Hollywood. And then I didn't even get into the sisterly part, let alone the marriage part, but um, the Hollywood stuff is what's stuck in my mind. By the way, when when did the Diamond Lane first come out? Because if they're smoking on airplanes and and going for phones, it sounds like it's the 80s. It was originally published in 1991. Who knew they still smoked in, on planes in 1991? Gosh. All right, Jessica, what are you reading? I'm a big reader of gardening books. <laughs> um, I just increased my flock from three to six chickens. <laughs> at home in Seattle, so I was trying to read more chicken books on introducing one flock to the other. Uh, Nancy doesn't have any recommendations on chicken books. Do you have any chicken books in your... Uh, what about Betty McDonald? Uh, well, I'm reading The Small Scale Poultry Flock. Um, it's, a, it's basically like the textbook for growing chickens, and it has like all basic care, how to feed them, management. See, Nancy, Nancy wanted to hear what other people were reading. So she is getting a, a, a full-on. No, no fiction in there at all? Just all small-scale chicken farming and you know, poultry management? Because that's mostly my focus right now. My other interests are genealogy. So I really want to get my hands on the Jewish genealogy book at Seattle Public Library that's only for reference use at the Central Branch. That's another book I want to read because it's like basically the guide to Jewish genealogy. There's a group in Seattle of Jewish genealogists. Did yes. you know that? Yes, and I've attended their meetings. What are they called? Eugewald. <laughs> that would be them. I can make that joke. What are you reading? <laughs> this is Jacqueline Johnson. Um, I'm reading Amsterdam. Um, and um, I've read several of... Ian McEwen um, <clears throat> uh, books, but I hadn't read that one, and I like it very much. Ian McEwen, yeah. And I, before that, I read Intercept. I think that's the whole title. Um, it was a the author was the guy who um, wrote a lot of the um, Law and Order. Ian McEwen, he keeps coming up. Yeah, Ian McEwen has a new book out. I don't know if you saw it. It's, it's, I thought it was great. And I, my favorite Ian McEwen, and I guess I, we talked about Ian McEwen last week or the week before. Um, my favorite is Black Dogs, an early novel. And, of course, that's what Churchill used to call his depressions, where depression is kind of made manifest with real or maybe imagined black dogs. It's, it's quite wonderful, but his new book is um, also just, I thought, great. You, you said you thought it was written by the person who wrote 
law and order scripts. So did it, was that what it was about? It was the feel of a law and order? Um, no, it was more um, international um, CIA and, and FBI and combination of issues they run through. Here it is, by Dick Wolf, who was one of the creators, I think, of Law and Order. And this is the first in a series. Yes, okay, called The Intercept. Dick okay, Wolf. so she likes that. What should she be reading next? Oh my gosh, there's a wonderful, do you like, you like spy fiction, I'm thinking? Okay, so there's a wonderful novel uh, by David Quammen, Q-U-A-M-M-E-N, called The Soul of Victor Tronco, um, which is about, uh, based on a real, a real event, which is that a Russian defector came to the CIA and told James Angleton, who was head of counterintelligence, um, all this stuff about um, Oswald's assassination, uh, Oswald's assassination of, of Kennedy, and various other issues. And then said, "By the way, there's going to be another defector in two months, and he is going to say everything that I've told you is a lie." But it's not. And then the CIA. Oh, and the, the big thing that the first that the first defector said was that there's a mole high up in the CIA, a Russian agent high up in the CIA. And of course, then along comes this other guy who says, "No, that's a lie." And James Angleton in in tore the CIA apart trying to find the um, that that Russian agent. So there's one. Um, another great one is called The Last Supper by Charles McCary. Oh my gosh, what a good book. Um, but before you read The Last Supper, you might want to read The Tears of Autumn, but they're all CIA thrillers. That, that's also a McCary book? Yeah, The Tears of Autumn is another Charles McCary book with the same main character. And that's about, The Tears of Autumn deals almost directly with the issue of who killed JFK. And once you read, my experience was, no matter what you think going into that book, when you finish reading it, there's no way that you can look at the event any other way than McCary has presented it. So real. Oh, I'll have to read that. I've, not, I've read some of McCary, but I haven't read that. I still like the Philip Kerr books for those sort of intrigue from the 40s and 50s, K-E-R-R. Yeah. He's interesting. What are you reading? This is Raylene Walls. Um, I just read a book called The Invisible Thread. The Invisible Thread, and I can't remember the author, but it's a true story about a woman, an executive in New York City, who befriends a homeless boy and gives him money and then takes him in. It's kind of like The Blind Side. It'll probably become a movie, but really, really good. And what, what she goes through to, to have him as her friend. She's just a friend. What attracted you to that book? A friend gave it to me. How was it? A friend read it, said this is really good. All right, what does that inspire you to think about for next? That's, that's, for me, Nancy's like, you know, you give her a title, then you spin it around, and then you see what comes out. <laughs> I, 
was once on a radio show in Australia, in Melbourne, and it was like their equivalent of National Public Radio, and the host, and the ho and the host said, okay, for this hour, we're going to have people call in and they're going to say one word and Nancy is going to come up with a book that that word is emblematic of. And How'd you do? I bet you did all right. Oh, I did terribly. And the first word that somebody called up to say was Dunny, D-U-N-N-Y. I mean, I had no idea what Dunny even meant. Is that, is that some Australian slang? It's Australian slang for like bathroom. And so I had to try to, I, I, I mean, I had no notion of what it was. And then somebody said, somebody else called and said, oh, you know, and listed some Australian novels and then said, but you could have said Ulysses. I guess there's many scenes in bathrooms in Ulysses. Who knew? But that was very hard. Do you remember when you uh, came up with that uh, four-part questionnaire? What? I still like that. Do you still have that? I I do still have that four-part questionnaire about why we like the books we like. And, um, and Jessica knows all about that because that's what I talk about in my class. But uh, to me, that, that's the best way of getting at what it is about a book that draws you into it. This is Susan Eby, and I have a question for Nancy about a book that I am not reading yet. Uh, I belong to uh, one of the Seattle Public Library book groups, and the book that we've been assigned for this month is by Nancy Horan, H-O-R-A-N, called Loving Frank, and I started it, I read a few pages, and I'm not sure I want to finish it. I, I just didn't get interested in the characters, so I was wondering if Nancy has read books by her, um, has some input on and, and you do have a rule. Well, I do have a rule, but for book clubs, I always try to encourage people to sort of soldier through. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, at our age, probably, why would we want to soldier through? Just stop. Um, but that was Nancy Horan's first novel, was Loving Frank. And interestingly enough, it came out very close to the time that T.C. Boyle wrote a novel about Frank Lloyd Wright as well. Um, I do know that um, it's, it's a book that's very popular with, reader, with book clubs um, because it's a character-driven novel. Uh, which always makes for a good discussion, as is T.C. Boyle's uh, novel. The Women. The Women. The Women by T.C. Boyle. Could she have permission to read The Women instead of the Nancy Horan book? And then does that make the book club fractious or more in-depth? I think it makes it more in-depth. And I think you should not be afraid of a little fractiousness. Read the women, try the women, and see whether that appeals to you more. Because I think that would be a very interesting compare and contrast kind of exercise. Good. Fractiousness in book clubs. I, I, it would be really interesting to do a session on... I have a couple ideas for things that we could talk about coming up, but one of them is um, what makes a good book club book. 
and I was going to say that um, that I I have a book my book club that I'm in meets Friday, the first Friday evening from at 6:30 at the University Bookstore, and it's a very lovely as book as library book groups are a very diverse group. So we have some people who were in school when Jessica was in school, and we have a woman in her mid to late 80s who, who comes when she's not in France, and everybody in between, and we just have great, great discussions, and we especially had a wonderful discussion a couple weeks ago on Jonathan Safran Foer's Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which I had not thought would be a good book discussion book, but turned out to be really wonderful. So come to that, first Friday of the month, 6.30, University Bookstore in the, in the University District. The book we're reading next is called Shine, Shine, Shine by Lydia Netzer, N-E-T-Z-E-R. And the book we're reading for, that, so that will be November, the book we're reading for December is a short one called Bless Me Ultima by Anaya. Yeah, A-N-A-Y-A. Oh, you have any last words? Read on. <laughs> good. Nancy's got her sign off. That's very good. That's very good. And uh, yeah, we'll be back at this, this slightly noisy but festive Brian Corner Cafe. Thank you guys for sitting down. Thank you all. That Stack of Books with Nancy Pearl and Steve Scher is a podcast about the books you're reading and the ones you might be reading next. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher, a number of aggregators. Also check out our Facebook page, That Stack of Books with Nancy Pearl and Steve Scher. You'll find the list of books we talked about there. You can also find us at Twitter, at That Stack. Appreciate your comments, thatstackofbooks at gmail.com. And we will be back at the Bryant Corner Cafe, 65th and 32nd in the Bryant neighborhood in Seattle. Next Tuesday at 10 a.m., drop by, grab a seat at the table. Like to see you. Thanks. Thanks.